I'm Barry Worthington. I'm Pete Reese. I'm Paul Thorpe. This is the Progress with Unity podcast. Show me the money. What's going on? <laughs> uh, there's been a great statement put out by the club this evening. Well, it was put out by Mal Brannigan this evening, CEO of the, of the club, sort of explaining a little bit about, about what happened. The staff hadn't been paid at Wigan Athletic. Mike Keegan, the, the reporter, has, has written some stuff. As soon as that happens, you get that sinking feeling again, don't you? Administration. We're, we're very sensitive at the moment. Well, we, I think Wigan Athletic supporters will always be sensitive to this. As it came out, I was like, oh, right, this is third time in six months. What's going on here? I've read Mal's statement, and I'm very grateful that he's made a statement and reassured people that there is money there, etc., and I've no reason to doubt anything that he's uh, he's written. However, I'm still really annoyed about it, that it's happened in the first place. I think this Given, or as you said, Barry, given all recent history, I think the thing that missing in that statement from Mal was a bit of contrition, was him saying, look, we appreciate the recent history of this club, the reason why we came into this club in the first place, what happened to this club less than two years ago. I can understand people getting concerned if there's the slightest hint of, of financial concerns. Let's face it, this is the third time now that wages haven't been paid on time. So an acknowledgement of what people might be thinking and feeling when those reports come through, and in the end, they were true, that would have been great, to be quite honest. But what annoys me most, I think, is, is that, as Paul said on, on Twitter, repeating Talal's statement about judges on our actions and not on our words. Well, here's an action, and we are going to judge you on it because you were somebody who said, put your faith in me. Well, we have done, and there's quite a lot of us feel let down about this. I feel like it's a it's a, a breach of trust. This is the third time that it's, ha- that it's happened. Staff at a football club not getting paid on time is a huge red light in football. And whether or not all those things are true that Mal said, and as I said, I've got no reason to doubt that they are. This should not have happened in the first place. It should, certainly shouldn't be happening the third time. Let's face it, these people are professionals. They shouldn't know the banking system. They should know how payments work and how to get a payment in on time. They, these people live or die in terms of getting things paid on time in their businesses. And this is the third time that it's happened. You can understand players being concerned about paying their own mortgages and so on. What about the rest of the stuff? When they get paid late, when they've got bills to pay on, on, on that particular day of the month and the money's not there, this it should not be happening. And you can understand that from within the club and whoever leaked this, an agent with an axe to grind or whatever it might be, who knows, these things do get out. And this should have been anticipated. There should have been a, a, a statement ready and waiting, not, not us having to wait for 24 hours. And then all the farce with suddenly putting out Liam signing his new contract which was a complete farce yesterday, complete balls up as far as I'm concerned. Talal's been been great with the PR since he came. What, what on earth happened yesterday? Sorry, but I'm, I'm, I hope we can all put it to bed, but I'm really, really not happy. The only thing I would say in slight mitigation is that if you cock it up three times, it gives more weight to the fact that it's a cock up rather than there being issues. I mean, like Pete says, it's your job to, to understand it and know what it's doing. I think the only thing for me was that statement came out yesterday saying the players had been paid late. Not that they were lacking being paid, but they'd been paid 
later, you would like to hope that everybody who was due money had, had had a conversation. Like Pete says, anybody who's got direct debits coming out or anything like that, that, that potentially may incur more costs, would be covered. The speculation was rife off the back of Talal posting what looked like old pictures with old calendars. The thing for me is every statement that's come out could well be perfectly 100% correct. Max Powers put a rather poignant photograph actually on, on Twitter of all the players in a big huddle, I think, suggesting that the players are together. If you look at Mal's statement, he's, he's answered the points. And with you, Pete, they know this is going to get out because it got out last time. And they do know how twitchy we all are. They should have come to the uh, forefront with this and, and said something. My biggest gripe with all this is the fact that it looks like it's knee-jerk reaction rather than preempting what was going to come. And I think Talal's tweet was very misjudged, that one. But by all accounts, Liam and Gregory Ott were over in Bahrain. So so there was truth truth in that anyway. What do you make of him getting a three-year contract? Moving on a little bit, do you think it's a, a really positive sign? Yeah, I, I do. And, and I think it, that certainly gives credence to Mal's statement that, that you know, there are no financial, financial difficulties, uh, etc. And I, I personally, I'm very pleased about it. I think Liam deserves it. And I'm looking forward to him taking us forward. I think he's done wonders for this club. Uh, which uh, some people seem to forget. He uh, saved us. He, he came in mid-season when the, the the club wasn't just on its uppers. It was it was walking barefoot on rocky ground, and he saved us from relegation with virtually no resources. And the very next season, put a, a, a scratch squad together that that got us promotion as champions. And we're now trying to make a fist of it in the championship. And I I, I think he not only does he deserve the the, the contract, I, I I do think he's a person to take us forward. I've said many a time, job for life for me. And I, I hear people knocking him and saying he's out, out of his depth. I mean, what what does that even mean? That he's out of his depth. I'll tell you what that means. That means you've lost the last two games. Usually, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. it's that simple. Because the same people are. How brilliant he is when we win two games. Absolutely, fella deserves it going forward. Brilliant. Just coming back to the point about you know whether the club is up for sale or not. Again, I have no reason to doubt what Mal has said in that statement. But what we all know about football clubs is that whether a club is for sale today or not doesn't mean to say that the club isn't for sale tomorrow because those things change. If somebody comes in, just like just like when you say a player isn't for sale, if somebody comes in with a big enough offer the player goes. It's as simple as that. And I think the same is true with football clubs as well. And they, I think they've made it quite clear from the beginning that this is a is a football investment for them. They wanted to get us into the championship to be a um, an established championship team before they sell us. So I, I guess they're not probably not sell, wanting to sell us at the minute. But if what they're looking for is for argument's sake, I think that 15 million was quoted in that newspaper article. If, if that's what they're looking for, for example, and somebody comes in and offers it now, are they going to turn it down? I very much doubt it. They'll have a figure in mind what they want for the club, which they'll take at some point. And if it if that figure is met now, they would do it, whether the club is supposedly for sale or not. Well, let's move on and talk about what we enjoy talking about, football. Yeah. I think we've got a very difficult game ahead of us on Saturday with a team that's really been underperforming so far this season, Watford. So Watford are in town. And I spoke with Mike from the Rookery End podcast. is a very popular podcast down in, in Watford. So we'll have a little listen to how that conversation went. 
pleased to say that I have Mike Parkin from the Rookery End podcast joining us today to give us the lowdown on everything about Watford. How you doing, Mike? Really good. Still smiling after the weekend. Big derby win, 4-0. So, uh, yeah, it's going to take uh, something serious to wipe this smile off the face. Yeah, I think that's something we've got in common this season. We've both beaten Luton Town. Happy days. We'll get straight into it. I, I wanted to ask you about your start. I picked three clubs going up. Burnley, Watford, Middlesbrough. You've got one Burrow. from the top, one from the middle and one from the bottom there now. One of the reasons I did pick Watford was because you brought in Rob Edwards who'd done a brilliant job at Forest Green and I didn't think your start was that bad knowing your reputation as a club I wasn't too surprised when he got sacked would you start that poor that he needed to go I wouldn't have said that anyone really deserves to get sacked after I think it was 10 games when he when he got the bullet I think every manager deserves more time than that even at Watford where as you say we all know what happens we all know the hire and fire policy is pretty berserk quite frankly the, the turnover is pretty un- insane and isn't really matched to any other club in the in the football league I wouldn't have, wouldn't have said so I think he probably having hired him he deserved more time and there was a lot of despondency I think at that decision because Rob Edwards was brought in as a young progressive British manager the exact opposite of everything that we've had previously we had Claudio Ranieri who who tried and failed Roy Hodgson who tried and failed really super experienced that's a, uh, a polite way of putting it in. and they weren't able to do it they were obviously there for the short term and you could tell that in the way they were about the club and and what we were excited about with the hiring of Rob Edwards it felt like the start of a project in investing in someone who didn't have the experience of other managers, but we were taking a sort of calculated risk and investing in some, something that might take a little bit of time to come to fruition, but was the, the antithesis, the, the sort of opposite of what we, we'd had before and what we were asking for as supporters, which was giving someone time, giving someone the start of, of a project to, to try and deliver. So that's what we hoped we were going to see. And after 10 games, it was kind of all whipped away from us. So we were frustrated from that point of view in, in terms of how the ownership were, were acting and behaving. In terms of the actual start, it wasn't great and the, the, the performances were stuttering, shall we say. He was unlucky with, with injuries. Some of the players that we brought in, Courtney Howes from, from Villa, Keaton Davis from Villa, were, were unfit to start with one of our key performers in midfield. Imran Loser wasn't available to him. So he did have issues with the side, but he wasn't able to get what is a pretty, still pretty impressive squad ticking. And whilst Watford fans were absolutely disappointed that he went for the reasons I've spoken about, we weren't surprised, which is which is sad, really. We're, we're kind of, we're ready for a bit of stability. We're ready for someone that we can rally behind. And, and get behind and call the Watford coach, call the Watford head coach, call the Watford manager for a, a proper amount of time. And Rob wasn't given that. And I think we all feel, well, certainly I can't speak for everyone, but speaking for myself, on a personal level, I feel sorry for Rob that he wasn't given more time. And, and I'm a little bit disappointed that from a, from a club point of view, we weren't willing to really commit to that project. I was surprised, but unsurprised. But like you said, Rob Edwards should have been for the long term. It should have been the project. That didn't happen. So you brought in Slavin Bilic. I read an headline of his on the BBC website which says Watford don't want to sack me and that was two games in is he the right man to turn it round I know he had a really good win uh, at the weekend but is he the right man to turn it round I mean I think he's right when he says Watford don't want to sack him I think there's this sort of misconception that there's an enjoyment about getting rid of managers I think if Gino Pozzo the owner had his way he'd never sack a manager his take is that if things aren't going well He's going to change it. He's going to be super, super decisive and, and change the manager. We all know you can't change the playing staff overnight, but what you can change overnight is the manager. What our question would be to that is, if you keep having to sack managers, you're making the wrong you're making the wrong appointment in the first place. So I think Slavon Bilic is right. There is an opportunity for someone to go there 
And if you're successful, but only if you're successful and pretty quickly, you, you'll, you'll, you'll keep the job for a long time. It's been up and down since he's, he's come in. Good win against Luton. Understating that a little bit. That's a huge, huge win for, for Watford. Just to put it into context, Watford haven't played Luton, who are our local rivals. We haven't played them with fans in the ground for 16 and a half years. So for us to turn up and, and beat Luton so comprehensively is massive. So he will get a lot of goodwill and a, a lot of latitude from, and free reign from, from Watford fans for that. The week before, we beat Norwich uh, at home and played quite well. And his first game in charge was 4-0 away at Stoke. So it's a pretty eye-catching result from the Sound Village. Unfortunately, we've had some pretty eye-catching dismal performances as well. The most recent one was in midweek last week away at Millwall, where we capitulated 3-0 down after about half an hour, I think it was. And the game was done. It wasn't just the result. You know, all credit to Millwall. They played very, very well. They deserved their win. It's just the way that Watford played. But it's, it, it was spineless, in effect. And you can't have too many times when a team goes out and plays like that if the manager's going to survive, especially at Watford. So the wins have been good um the performances have been more shaped there's been more of a uh, of a sense of what he's trying to achieve with his team he feels more in control i think he feels more decisive than perhaps we did under rob edwards which isn't really a criticism of rob he was learning on the job he'd come from forest green rovers to, to watford where the expectation is the premier league that's not a, a, a criticism of rob edwards but Slavon billich feels like he knows what he's doing he of course got west Bromwich albion promoted from this division and i think his experience means that he won't be scared to speak out he won't be scared to sort of unleash a few home truths aimed perhaps at the owner aimed at the players where whereas perhaps rob edwards perhaps lacked the the experience and confidence to do that so whether he's the right man or not will will remain to be seen what i do think he's quite a combustible character and we've already spoken about how the owner likes to get rid of managers if things aren't going well so if they're not seeing eye to eye there could be could be problems but i would say so far so good you need to cut out the the lame performances like the one we saw at Millwall it really was I don't expect you guys to have seen it but it really was pathetic we can't have performances like that with the with the squad we've got and I think Sam and Billich is probably a good man to to let the squad know that that's not not acceptable was it a Tom Bradshaw at trick it was yeah yeah, yeah about, no, 20, about 28 minutes or something they, they weren't great goals either were they poor defensively and it just Watford just didn't step up we, you, everyone knows what it's like going to Millwall midweek and that's not to be reductive about Millwall you know you're going to have to be on your metal you know stand up um, stand shoulder to shoulder and deal with it and and what we just weren't able to do it they completely I think someone described them as wilted and uh, that's that's exactly right they they just completely collapsed like a badly cooked souffle well uh, talking of that souffle it's only risen once on, on the travels has it and you mentioned that the Stoke City game where you won 4-0 is, is that a weak link you're aware from I think it is, and I think that speaks to the the attitude of the players, quite frankly. When we went up last uh, last time in the championship, it, there was a, there were hints of this. I was lucky enough to be at most of the games for work, and I maintain that that season would have been very different had there been fans in the ground, because often it was one little flash of brilliance from one of our better players that would be the difference. They certainly weren't dominating games, and I felt that away from home in particular, had there been fans in the ground, they would have made it. They would have found it difficult, as they're finding out this year. I think there's a lot of them who potentially Essentially, feel like they are Premier League footballers, and that they just need to need to turn up, and and, and then they'll be in with a decent chance of winning. And we all know, we've all watched enough football to know that simply isn't the case. So I think there's an attitude and application issue when it comes to away games, and sometimes when it comes to Watford, I think if it gets difficult, they look for ways to not perform. They sort of they shrivel up a little bit. So yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the away form is is an Achilles heel. Um, I mean, the home form hasn't been much better, to be honest. But um, yeah, not not to pick up points. You know, places like 
no disrespect to Blackpool, but I think we went to Bloomfield Road and they hadn't won at home all season. And they turned us over 3-1. It was, it was, it was dreadful. But Blackburn, a different kettle of fish, but again, it was a really, really poor performance. We've spoken about Millwall, West Bromwich Albion, who are struggling this season, absolutely battered us. They'll still won't understand how they only came away with a one-all draw in that game. Birmingham, again, were struggling at the time. So, yeah, we're yet to see, apart from Stoke, and, and I think Stoke really helped us out that day. They, they had Sunday, one of those funny 12 o'clock Sunday kickoffs, and I think they were, they half of them were still in bed or still dreaming about, I don't know what they were dreaming about, but it certainly wasn't a good performance against us. So, yeah, we, we are due a good performance. And one thing that is probably sums Watford up over the last 18 months, two years, maybe even longer than that, is we haven't won back-to-back games since April 2021. So that is a long, long time. And that, so that just tells you that the, the inconsistency, and if you're playing home away, home away, it, that's, that, that tells a lot about what's the sort of long-term form, unfortunately. I think most people are aware about our own record this season. It's the worst in the division. We've won one game. We've taken three pastings. The game we did win was Blackburn, and, and, and we were magnificent. I hope we're fired up for it on, on, uh, on Saturday, and I'm sure we will be. It'll be an interesting game for me. There's a former player of ours in, in the Watford squad at the moment. Uh, I don't know if he'll be playing on, on Saturday or not. Tom Cleverly. He seems to have been at Watford for quite a while now. Yeah, two spells with, with Watford. I mean, this most recent one, he's been he's been fantastic for us. He's a, a super steady player who you know exactly what you're going to get. He's solid, dependable. He's club captain, but he's injured. So there's absolutely no chance of him him taking to the field on 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 Saturday. One of Watford's better signings, I think, over the uh, over the course of the Pozzo ownership. And we do miss him in midfield. He's probably the loudest voice I think we have out there on the pitch in terms of leadership. And that's something that Watford do miss. We've spoken before about the about the away form, and I think part of that is probably down to that that lack of leadership, that lack of a really loud, rousing voice, a, 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 a captain in the truest sense of the word, if you like, and, and Tom Cleverley really does do that for us. So he's sorely missed and he won't be he won't be present on uh, on Saturday, unfortunately. The player that stands out for me within your squad is, is Saar. He's five goals and four assists so far this season. Is he your key man and who else should, be, as Wigan Athletic supporters, be fearful of? I mean, when, when he's on his game, when he's up for it, it's really the Saar's unplayable. It's as simple as that. There's absolutely no chance he should be playing in the Championship. It's ludicrous that he is. And if Watford are able to get him into the game, which they haven't been able to do too many times. He's, he's an absolute nightmare for defenders. His pace is ridiculous. His, his touch is superb and he can finish as well. I think he's what he's benefiting from now is Keenan Davis coming into the side. side. I, met, I mentioned that he was unavailable earlier in the season because he was he was injured and he still looks a bit injury prone. But when he is playing, Keenan Davis is an absolute handful. And I think Ismail Asar is benefiting from having that different type of player playing through the middle. He really is a number nine in the truest sense of the word. He's like a tank in football boot, incredibly strong. He's got an incredibly long legs. He managed to do that great thing that strikers do, get himself between the, the defender and the ball. And he is so direct. He loves to get the ball, drive forward and get a shot off. And I think Ismail Asar is really, really benefiting from having Keenan Davis in the side. And so, yeah, but if he's in the game, Ismail Asar is, is a joy to behold. And we're making sure that we make the most of him because he won't be in, a, in the yellow shirt of Watford too much longer. Keenan Davis, I've mentioned, is, is absolutely tremendous. If he can stay on the pitch for, for 90 minutes, he is, he's an absolute handful for defenders. And and the other one is João Pedro. And, and again, he's someone that is absolutely nowhere on earth this side should be playing in, in the championship. We are beyond lucky to have some 
someone like that playing for, for Watford week in, week out. He was the catalyst, I think, for the for that home win against Luton. He really got things going right from minute one, taking the, the, the game to Luton, set the, setting the tempo. His touch is great. He, he never takes a backward step. He's just so positive, but he's so skillful and a wonderful, wonderful player. And the issue Watford have had is getting those three involved in the game. It just hasn't happened enough. If you look at the goals for column, it, if you strip away perhaps the Stoke and the, and the Luton games, where the, you know, that's eight goals in two games. We haven't scored many goals at all. And, and that's that's probably a, that's a real damning indictment really of how Watford have been this season. For, for having these players at their disposal, not to be able to utilise them better is has been really, really disappointing and has contributed to Watford being sort of anchored in mid, mid-table, really. But but those guys, from a, from a Watford point of view, are a, a joy to behold. Those front three, Saar, Pedro and, and Davis, are the, are the real sort of aces up our sleeve. And just another one to look out for if he, if he comes on as a sub is young 18-year-old uh, Yasser Espria. He, I mean, he, I say he's 18, he looks like he's about 11. But he is, he's sort of Jao Pedro light at the moment. He's another one who is, he's just full of confidence. He's not worried about losing the ball. He gets the ball, he drives forward, he knows what he wants to do. He might lose it on occasion, and he's by no means the finished article. But I absolutely adore this lad. I think he's going to be—he's going to be superb. Right, mate. Uh, could you give us a prediction, please, for Saturday? Watford's away form is absolutely dismal. Uh, Watford never failed to let me down. So we're going to go from the highs of Luton to another away game where we're probably going to go in favourite. The, the form has got to change sometime, hasn't it? The form has got to change sometime. But will it change for Wigan or will it change for Watford? I don't know. I'm all panic-stricken now. Trying to, trying to put me on the spot. If Watford are going to make a success of the season, we have to back up what was a tremendous result against Luton with a decent away performance. So I'm going to go for a hard-fought 2-1 win to Watford, I'm afraid. Fair enough. And I hope, I hope we turn it around the other way. 2-1 to us. Thank you very much for joining us, Mike. It's been an absolute pleasure. When's your, when's your preview out? We will be back post-game, so it's from the Rookery End. You can follow us on uh, social media, at Watford Podcast. You'll find us from the Rookery End, and you can hear our take on uh, and what happens at Wigan, uh, yeah, the Monday after the game. Cheers, Mike. Catch you later. Mike sounds a bit disgruntled about revolving door at Vicarage Road with managers. It's almost like the revolving door at Downing Street there, isn't it? Clearly, I think he, he thinks that, that that one way or the other, that's having an impact on performances. The previous managers should have been given longer. Maybe they are picking up now. Maybe it is just a case of sacking lots of managers until you get the right one and then, and then things will take off. I don't know. But they've certainly got a poor away record, which is something we might be able to capitalise on, will we? The other stat that I found very interesting is not one back to back game since April 2021. So you're looking at 18 months since they've won a back-to-back games. Uh, oh, and no. Yeah, that well-known charitable institution, Wigan Athletic. The same token, Pete. We've not done very well at home this season, you know, so mm. something's got to give. Potentially, there's a high unifying force within ours. There's a lot of people with a point to prove on Saturday. You mean after the discussion over the last couple of days? Yeah, what's been going on? There's nothing will settle the fans down more than three points on Saturday, is there? That's very, very true. As as was ever thus with every club everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Even I might calm right. down then, Paul. <laughs> Should we have a ref watch then for Saturday? The referee for the visit of Watford will be Matt Donoghue. He's from Manchester. He became an EFL ref in 2018. Referee in the Championship a season later. He last refed the Latics in our 1-1 draw at Norwich in August. Four of the Latics games he's refed all came in the Championship in the 2019-20 season. Matt Donoghue's been in charge of Watford's games twice previously. Both of those came in the 2020-21 season. Away at Barnsley and Birmingham, both were in the Championship and both ended 1-0. Barnsley winning at Oakwell and Watford winning away at St Andrews. It's card watch so far this season. Matt Donoghue's taken charge of 10 games. Nine have come in the Championship and he's issued 31 yellows. No red cards. He's awarded one penalty. That's Matt Donoghue. He'll be your referee on Saturday 
on a visit of Watford to the DW. If Norwich fans would have had the way, they'd have issued one red card, wouldn't they, in that game down, down at Carroll Road uh, with Tom Naylor, Tom Naylor's challenge. Oh, and we sure. all know it was a fair challenge. Yeah. It shouldn't have even been a free kick. Previously, we've played Watford 16 times, winning five of them, losing six, and made five draws. The first meeting came on the 6th of January 1990. I remember going to this one, a 2-0 defeat away in a third-round FA Cup tie. We only met twice in the Premier League, both 1-1 draws. And of the past six meetings, with one win, three defeats, and those two draws in the Premier League. I seem to remember my, my favourite win against Watford. I think that came under John Dean at Springfield Park. I think Watford were flying high at the top of the division. I think we were in the, the fourth division, as was. I think we went 3-0 up at, in the first half and uh, Watford came back in the second half, scored two goals. I remember it being a terrific match, one of the best matches I remember seeing on the John Dean. Notable players we've played for both clubs, Damian Francis, one of my favourite players of all time, Matt Jackson, Peter Kennedy and, of course, our very own Sir Ben Watson. Have you two guys got any favourite past meetings with Watford? I think the one for me is the, the, the weirdness of watching Ben Watson line up against Galatic. Yeah, I know what you mean by that. My uh, abiding memory of Watford is back in 1999. I've I, 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 I tell this story to whoever will listen to it. It's when I was in the fire service. We, we played him in two legs in the League Cup. We'd lost 2-0 down at Vicarage Road. It was back up at, at the JJB as it was then. Every Tuesday, we used to go and play six aside at the Soccer Dome during the afternoon when you know because we was on shift work we was coming out after we've been playing and we got into the fire at the soccer dome and who's in there but but graham taylor and a couple of blokes a couple of coaches to be honest with you there's five or six of them and they were all walking through i caught his eye and i just said how's it going he said you're not leaving are you i said yeah he said well i've, I've come to watch you i've been told about you and i've come to come to watch you <laughs> so, I said, so i said graham I said, I've done 90 minutes, I'm knackered. You've missed your chance. So we had, we had a bit of banter going, you know, and uh, we had a bit of banter going. And it, it was great. And what a guy he was, you know, a wonderful, homely man up for the crack. All the coaches were laughing their heads off. I walked out with the lads I've been playing football with and they, they couldn't believe that we didn't know each other from somewhere down because it was that, you know, it was that sort of <laughs> encounter. When I got home, I said to Linda, you'll never guess who I've just booked into at the soccer dome. And so I said, Graham Taylor. Now, she'd watched the Do I Not Like That documentary, and, and it really upset her, and she'd got this real soft spot for, for, for Graham Taylor since. So that's why I was rubbing it in a bit with her. So she said, did you get me his autograph? I said, I didn't, no. So anyway, I thought, I said, leave it with me. And I wrote a letter to Graham Taylor, Watford FC, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And a week later, I'm going to show you this now on, on camera, got this back. A, oh, wow. a signed wow. photograph, best wishes. And well, I'm saying I got it back. Linda got it because I told him the story about her wanting the autograph. And Linda got this this lovely letter saying to the lovely Linda, bloody, bloody, bloody. It was a full page and written. We still got we still got the letter and, and the, the photograph's in a frame and it sits in pride of place in, in the dining room. <laughs> so <laughs> and, and that game we won three one. We went out on away goals. Peter Kennedy scored for Watford, who actually joined us a season uh, later, and he was really uh, good for us as well. So, was, so that's my memories of of Watford. Graham Taylor is, you know, especially when he was England manager, he got, he got so much abuse, didn't he? And lots of people, including me, didn't like his playing style very much. But it just shows everybody has who knew him and, and like you had talked to him had a good word to say about him. And it, and it's something that gets lost in football, isn't it? You know, we're, we're so intolerant of failure and we're so intolerant of things that we don't like, and we we forget that you know 
there's human beings. And um, the other thing with Taylor, I mean, he was he was extremely successful with Lincoln City, then Aston Villa, then Watford, right, yeah. you know, yeah. and then Watford again. So he'd mm. been very, very successful as, as yeah. a club manager. He was unlucky at England level, wasn't he? Well, yeah. he made a couple yes. of mistakes. I, I mean, that Cumin thing, he shouldn't have been on the pitch. I was thinking taking yeah. Gary Lineker off in that game at, at Norway. Uh-huh, yeah. There's a, there's a friend of mine always uh, comes out with a, a quote about Graham Taylor, who apparently said at some point, when you've won 3-0, you've never played as well as people say you have. And when you lose 3-0... You've never played as badly as people say you have. There's a lot of truth in that, actually. Mm, there is. But I'm thinking back to our 4 1 defeat by Middlesbrough. I think we were pretty bad that night. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The predictions Mike's gone for a 2 1 away win for Watford. I'll go first for me. Listening to Liam's interview after the QPR game, I think we're struggling a little bit for players. Sonny like Jack Watmore was doubtful. Ryan Niambi is definitely out. Charlie White's out. Callum Wang's out, as we know. So I think we've got a little bit of a minute injury problem at the moment. I'd love us to stay with three at the back because them three centre-halves, they cover for each other. And I think we look a lot stronger with three centre-backs. If we do that and we can move the ball around the pitch quicker, Jordan Cousins and Graham Sheen is starting in midfield. Max Perra on the right. I'm going for for a, a one apiece. I don't know where I am anymore with predictions. Whatever I say, it tends to be the opposite. I've absolutely no idea. So I'm I'm, I'm just going to put put my money in the middle and go for a one one draw. Oh, two one ones. Well, the, the trick with predictions, Pete, is when you get it wrong, keep quiet. When you get it right, tell everyone. If all is well in the camp, I think they will come out trying to prove something to the Latics fans. And looking at where we are, we're just starting to just get a little bit nervous, aren't we? And three points will just settle that down from a table perspective. So I will reverse what Mike said and go 2-1, but to the last instead of to Watford. None of us have predicted a, a defeat. And looking at the forward line, I, I, I do fear that a little bit. I mean, that's uh, a cracking player and Pedro as well. And we're all sort of half positive or full-on positive, aren't we? So, so it's not a bad thing. There's a full programme on Saturday in the Championship. Bristol City, Swansea, West Brom, Sheffield United at lunchtime kickoffs. Then we've got Burnley, Reading, Cardiff, Rotherham, Coventry and Blackpool, Huddersfield, Millwall, Hull, Blackburn, Luton, Sunderland, Norwich, Stoke, Preston, Middlesbrough, and obviously we've got Watford at home. It'll be interesting to keep our eye on that Coventry game because we're there on Tuesday. So we'll be back on Sunday with a, a preview of that with Sky Blues TV will be joining us. So that, that'll be an interesting edition. Until Sunday, it's a goodbye from me. Uh, it's a good night from a good me. Goodbye from us. Up the six. Up the six. Come on. Up the six.